there. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Monday, January 23rd, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by diplomatic correspondent Laser Berman and health and science writer Nathan Jafai. Hello to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Laser. Good morning. So we're going to talk today about Foreign Minister Eli Cohen's agreed-upon visit to Kiev and the outcome of Envoy Jake Sullivan's trip last week to the region, as well as an Israeli robot with scent superpowers and the uses of medical clowning. Before we get into all of that, we're going to take a very quick break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Okay. So, Laser, we're almost at a year since Russia invaded Ukraine, and there's been the push and pull of Israel-Ukraine diplomacy. Now, with a new government and a new foreign minister, Eli Cohen, uh, there is now talk that he will go visit Kiev. What does that really mean? Yeah, so we're coming up on 11 months to this invasion tomorrow. It started on February 24th. I think no one expected it to last this long. Maybe the Ukrainians did, but I certainly didn't. And definitely the Russians didn't. Now, as we know, throughout the war, Israel has tried to strike a balance between uh, lining up with the West, at least rhetorically, and supporting Ukraine against invasion, but also maintaining its deep ties with Russia, especially around uh, the deconfliction mechanism over Syria. Now, there's been a lot of attention, a lot of speculation, questions over what this new Netanyahu-led government will do, whether he will change the policy of Bennett and Lapid. And there were some signs that he would, but Cohen seems to have stumbled in his inaugural speech into something of a controversy when he said that uh, Israel would speak less about the Russia-Ukraine war and that the next day he would be speaking with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. That was interpreted as a sign that Netanyahu and his government would take a more pro-Moscow stance. Um, the Ukrainians were furious after this. People I spoke with in the government um, were, did not really hide in their um, off-the-record comments that, you know what, uh, this is a change of policy by Israel. The foreign minister had never spoken with Lavrov in the past, and that it, they're really not sure what Israel's policy is on the war, and they're really not sure um, why Israel isn't speaking out. And it wasn't clear that uh, their foreign minister would, would speak with Cohen at all. Anyway, took a couple of weeks to make this happen. There was a delay um, of the initial date, which the Ukrainians said was not a sign of displeasure. It was just um, because they are in a war. And the two finally spoke from what I heard. It was a generally positive conversation. 
uh, Foreign Minister Kuleva invited Cohen to Kiev, and both sides told me that uh, Cohen had at least on principle agreed to go to Kiev. So he would be the most senior uh, Israeli minister to visit the country. Obviously, European and senior European and American officials have been there. So this would be significant if, if he goes. We don't have a date yet. And it's possible that he'll go um, and they'll only announce it afterward. And my job will be to figure out ahead of time <laughs> when he's going and make sure I can get there as well. All right, but Laser, explain something to me. Obviously, everyone is aware. Israel's foreign ministry, Kiev, Russia, everyone knows more or less what Israel's stance is diplomatically with regard to the situation, that we're not sending military supplies, that we're offering support of other kinds. That's what it's been for the last 11 months. What does it actually mean then that he's going? Does it mean anything different? Does it change anything really? The symbolic uh, nature of the trip is certainly meaningful and shows that Israel has a desire um, to line up in many ways with the uh, anti-Russian forces. And and it is a way of saying that we identify with the, with Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Um, it's also an opportunity to talk about things quietly, covertly. Um, and the question is, what exactly that will be? Uh, weapons, like you said, we assume are still off the table. Perhaps some intelligence cooperation in the real place where that there could be some significant talk quietly is around the uh, the Iran issue, that Iranian weaponry has become increasingly a feature of, of Russia's assault. And uh, sharing intelligence on that um, could be one place where they could cooperate uh, quietly. Um, and it, like I said, the, the, the sign, the symbol that, that Israel is willing to risk, risk Russian anger and, and really make a statement in favor of Kiev is important, not to mention um, what it will do for the local Jewish community, um, of which tens of thousands are there and, and you know, have done important things during the war. I think it's important to see senior Israeli officials there as well. Okay, thanks for that, Laser. Okay, Nathan, tell us about this new robot with parts that are so powerful it could possibly replace sniffer dogs and high-res cameras. It also looks very small in the photo, but I'm not sure you saw it up close. Tell us about it. Absolutely. So this is a this is a researcher who I've been speaking to for some time, and whose work I find massively exciting, um, because what Ben Maoz and his team at Tel Aviv University do um, is experiment what can be done with the parts or with parts from insects by integrating them into technology. Um, it sounds a little bit bizarre, but what they're doing is taking the biological world and the technological world and fusing them together. So last year I reported on how he, he had taken a locust's ear and connected it to a robot so that the robot would respond to sound, which is picked up from the locust's ear, which is wired into the robot. And what they've done now is created a robot which smells using the antenna of a locust. So it actually takes in smells, uses artificial intelligence to categorize those smells, and does the whole thing instead of a smell sensor that's been made in a lab by using a locust's antenna. Now, you may say, very nice, a little bit icky, but what's the point? Why would you want exactly. to do this? Exactly, exactly. So there are really good reasons for wanting to do this. 
if you think about it, we work so hard on building technology, but the technology that we build doesn't come close to our own capabilities or the capabilities of animals, insects in the natural world. So, you know, we can build a great camera, but it will not have necessarily the definition of an insect's eye, or we can build the most remarkable um, sense touches, but if you take certain animal parts, they are much, much more sensitive than anything we can build in the world of technology. So what Ben Maoz says is, we should be taking these parts from insects, from animals, and actually using them in partnership with artificial intelligence to build tomorrow's technology. So let's take the example of what he's just done, wiring the locust's antenna into a robot. Why would that be really cool? That could be really cool because at the moment we have, for example, sniffer dogs that go and detect drugs at airports. If you want a sniffer dog, you're the police, you need to train the sniffer dog, you need to feed the sniffer dog, you need to take it on daily walks to do its business outside. There's so much effort that goes into keeping a sniffer dog. Whereas what he's saying is you can actually take the biological capability of this amazing smell power that exists in nature, wire it into a computer or a robot, which will then go beep, beep, beep and tell you when there are drugs in the airport and you'll no longer need to walk around dogs in airports. You'll be able to use these devices to smell food when it's rotten. Imagine having that device in your kitchen. You know, my daughter tells me every time she takes the milk out of the fridge, Daddy, can you smell this milk? You just give them the device, put it on the food. You're actually cutting down food wastage with this kind of technology. So the possibilities are kind of endless. It's something that we don't think about a lot, but it's really exciting technology. But clearly Ben Maoz does think about it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll, when we're back, Laser will tell us about the visit of U.S. Envoy Jake Sullivan and uh, some of the conversations that he had. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like My friend has a 4x4. Four four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Laser... Jake Sullivan was here, was here, I believe, for about two days, maybe three. Uh, had conversations with Prime Minister Netanyahu, Palestinian Authority President Abbas, as well as Foreign Minister Cohen. I know that they were covering the Abraham Accords, considering talks with Saudi Arabia. But what can you tell us about uh, drilling down to those conversations? Sure. So you're right. He was here Wednesday till Friday, the 18th to the 20th. And he came with 
um, the president's coordinator for the Middle East and North Africa, Brett McGurk. So this is the um, initial senior level visit by the Biden uh, White House to this new government. Obviously, there was a lot of attention around the nuances of the statements, both the public statements and the readouts. What is the Biden administration focusing on? What are they unhappy with? Um, you can predict ahead of time where the areas of conflict would be. Obviously, uh, Palestinians' two-state solution, um, the Temple Mount and the quote-unquote status quo, and um, also some of these domestic reforms, which, which seem to have come up as well. Um, on the positive side, the focus was, of course, on the Abram Accords, how to expand it, um, how to deepen it, and, of course, that big prize, Saudi Arabia. And there was that meeting of that um, I2U2 forum, the United States, UAE, Israel, and India. So the national security advisors of all those countries met as well, and that's something that we've seen on the foreign minister's level as well. Um, which is a way for America to show support for the Abram Accords um, and to show that it's a key player in a, making a difference for the region, region based on those Abram Accords. But they were not able to hide the fact that there are serious disagreements, and it seems like some of them came up. We have reported you know, at the Times of Israel on the fact that Sullivan expressed concern over these judicial reforms to Netanyahu, and Netanyahu said that they will be watered down, that they will have broad consensus. But it shows that some of these big, uh, big-ticket domestic issues in Israel are being watched closely by the United States. And there was even reports of Sullivan saying that this... Um, unwavering, unhesitant support for the U.S. could be jeopardized if some of these domestic reforms go through. Um, so that really shows that the Biden administration is quite concerned about this. Um, and again, uh, there's that focus, like I said, on the Temple Mount, on at least rhetorical support for a two-state solution and making sure that nothing is done that undermines it in the future, even though everyone knows that there is going to be no move toward a two-state solution in the foreseeable future. This was their visit taken seriously, I would imagine, by the Netanyahu government. It is certainly a a visit with some meaning where uh, you know both sides know each other well. But this is um, you know the initial time to sit down in Israel um, and to really talk about the the issues that that uh, that the White House is worried about and to send some signals to Netanyahu as well. There's no way that they're not going to take it seriously. Obviously, <laughs> you know, the U.S. is obviously Israel's biggest ally and Netanyahu takes it very seriously. Um, he even appointed basically a minister, Ron Dermer, to, to handle those uh, to handle this relationship on the strategic level. I will also add that they, of course, spoke about Iran. You know, it seems less and less likely that there's going to be a return to the 2015 JCPOA. So the question is, what do we do now? And there really is no uh, defined plan B on either side. So that certainly came up as well. And that is a place, you know, that is a place where, where there can be some real cooperation and some real thinking. And that was the focus of the meeting between Sullivan and uh, Defense Minister Gallant and uh, the new IDF Chief of Staff, Herzi Halevi. Okay, thanks, Laser. Appreciate that. Nathan, finally, finishing up with your piece about medical clowning, uh, some serious research done about it, and it seems that the outcome was that my, that doctors need to see it as a as a significant opportunity for collaboration, given the benefits of it. 
Yeah, I think kind of the great value of this research is to take the area of medical clowning and kind of really explore it in in academic terms because Israel is is a real leader in uh, medical clowning and sees it as an integral part of the medical process. I'll always remember when I went to Nepal to report after the earthquake um, and saw that there at the field hospital in Nepal, there were medical clowns. And that kind of gives a sense of the contribution that they can make. You know, there was a little boy who had to, uh, you know, have a very difficult procedure. Um, and those medical clowns made the world of difference. But what's been lacking until now is serious literature. I know it sounds strange saying the word serious kind of in the same sentence as clowning. Um, but serious literature that actually lays this out for doctors and says, okay, you know, see this as part of the medical process. Here is what the clowns can actually contribute. Um, you know, and uh, and start to think of it like, like anything else that goes into kind of uh, helping a hospital department to run smoothly. And here laid out for you are these elements of what goes into medical clowning and what it can help with. And the hope from the researchers is that this will very much kind of assist um, medical professionals, as you say, in integrating it more into what they do. And yeah, at the end of the day, although it sounds odd to, odd to say this, to take it more seriously. Thanks, Nathan. That is helpful and interesting to think about. Uh, and thank you both for being on today's Daily Briefing. Thank you, Laser. Thank you, Nathan. Bye, guys. Thank you. We will be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, have a good listen and have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.